Vision Online Only. My name is Steve Austin. I am the prison ministry pastor here at New Vision, and I am excited to be with you today. Now, um, unfortunately, we have to be online only, and we have made a tough decision in the midst of this process. This has not been easy, but we feel like after the COVID outbreak, the numbers just kind of grew considerably after Thanksgiving and people getting together. So we felt like that would probably happen again, potentially over Christmas. So instead of risking the outbreak to be a little bit more intense, we said, you know what, if we will err, we will err on the side of caution. So this week and next week, we will be online only, and then we will pick up again services um, at New Vision and at Buchanan on the 7th and the 10th. So we're so excited about being here today. Um, as, as Christmas is two days behind us, and as we are beginning to really start thinking about the new year, my thought process was to help us maybe bring some closure instead of looking at 2020 as the ultimate year of horrendous experiences. What if we could learn to embrace the things that have happened in 2020? What if instead of understanding the things that have transpired in 2020 with the pandemic, what if instead of us understanding that through our own perception, what if we could begin to see God's perspective in the midst of this process? Why would we want to take God's perspective as we interpret things that have happened? Well, the reality is, is that I believe that God has some valuable lessons for us to learn not only as a church, but as a country, as a people, I believe that the lessons that God is trying to teach us are strategic. I believe they are intentional. And I believe that God is in the process of teaching us things that he wants us to know and fully understand because he is preparing his people for the ultimate culmination of everything that Christ came to do, and that is to bring his people home. What if this event that we're experiencing is simply part of that process? If it is, then we need to engage with God so that we can learn what God is doing. So my intent today is not to necessarily interpret the events of COVID and the events of 2020. My intent today is to help us see through a different lens so that we can, again, embrace what God is doing in the midst of those processes. You know, one of the, one of the first things that, that I do when I wake up in the morning, the first cognitive thought process that goes through my mind every single morning is this, and I want you to catch it. God, whatever happens today, whatever happens, do not let me miss my lessons. Why would I pray that kind of prayer? Here's why. Because God is super intentional. 
And I believe that every breath that God gives me and every breath that God gives you, he is in the process of attempting to tell us and teach us things that through the circumstances of life, allow us to come to know his heart more. Listen, the ultimate objective in all of life that God has for us is to know him. As we know him, we trust him with whatever happens. As we begin to trust him more and more, we, we give ourselves the right to let him lead and guide our lives. In the midst of that process, he has the freedom to maneuver us exactly where he needs us to be. After all, God knows how we're wired. He knows how we fit into his ultimate objectives and agendas. And he has been at work since the world began. He is linking what he has been doing with what he will be doing in the future. And we, in the here and now, are a part of his plan to link those two together. So if he is teaching us through a series of events, and if that's how we learn, then it is imperative that we join him in what he is doing and, again, engage, embrace, and enjoy the things that God is allowing to come into our lives. So we're talking about the difference in perception and perspective today. So before we dive into Job 1 and 2, let me compare the two of these. I think this is, uh, I, I really think this will help us understand not only the differences between them, but, I, but it'll also set up our text for us. So um, think of it in terms of perception and perspective. Perception is a, when we have a lens of perception, that is our understanding. And our understanding is limited. It's finite. It is, um, we have a limited understanding, a limited scope by which we can fully understand something. So we don't have the full picture. From the flip side, God's perspective as we choose to see life through, God has a perspective on everything. He sees not in partial, but he sees in whole. He doesn't have limited understanding. He has complete, full understanding. He is unlimited in his understanding. So as we begin this process, now, we don't have the capacity to fully understand everything that that he understands because he is so much greater. There's no searching his understanding. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But at the same time, as we know him, as we trust him, we have the ability to see life through a different lens. And that lens is the lens of trust, knowing his character, his nature, and how he works in our lives to bring about the changes and challenges that he knows that we need. So our perception is partial, it's limited, and it's also one-dimensional where God's perspective and looking at life through his lens allows it to be three-dimensional. We have an illustration here of a chalk drawing. Looking at the chalk drawing from the side, you can see how big it is. It's like 20 feet wide and about 30 feet tall. However, that chalk drawing is not designed to be seen 
from the viewpoint that the camera is shooting from. So let's show you the same exact picture just a few minutes later, taken from the viewpoint by which it was meant to be seen. Isn't that cool? From one viewpoint, it's one dimensional. From the other viewpoint by which it's made to be seen, it is three dimensional. It's the exact same, same picture. Go back to one dimensional real quick, show that one. Now show again the three dimensional view. What's the point? Here's the point. Seeing circumstances, whatever those circumstances are, through the right viewpoint, through the right lens, from the right vantage point, allows us to engage, to learn, to trust, to teach others. It allows us this privilege of walking with God and seeing no matter where we are as an opportunity to learn and discover his heart. So as we look into a familiar story here in Job 1 and 2, I'll, I'll say this, Job saw life through the right lens. His responses are incredible with the things that he went through. In fact, you can't make a movie that has any worse scenario than the things that Job actually went through. First off, he had it all. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, large number of servants. He was the greatest man in that part of the country. He had it all, but he also lost it all in a matter of a very, very short time. Naked I came from the mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away is his response. May the name of the Lord continue to be praised. Man, he had incredible perspective on his circumstances. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So how did Job keep God's perspective in the midst of this journey? Well, Let's dissect. Let's go verse by verse. We'll look at um, some things, some key points, I think, that are important here in Job's journey. And then we will kind of wrap it up with a few key lessons that we need to glean from this perspective. Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves to the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now, that's an interesting verse. Why did the angels and Satan come to present themselves to the Lord? Well, angels throughout Scripture were God's messengers. We just celebrated Christmas a couple of days ago. The shepherds in the field were visited by what? An angel. They had a message from God. They were God's messengers. Same thing with Mary. The angel Gabriel was sent to Mary to deliver a message. He is God's messenger. So the angels were presenting themselves to God looking for instructions Satan came to present himself. Listen, I want you to watch this. Looking for God's permission. What does that mean? Well, listen, <clears throat> I believe this is one of the strongest Old Testament sections of Scripture in all of the Old Testament. Why? Because it points to the sovereignty of God. What we're about to see as the story unfolds, we see God in relation to the enemy, and we see the enemy coming to God because he can't do anything unless God gives him the freedom to do it. It proves God's power and authority right there in Scripture. All right, 
So the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Now, why would God ask him a question that he already knows the answer to? Well, God's motive in asking humans is different than his motive for asking Satan a question. I'll give you an example, a couple of examples. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the four first four comments that God made were all questions. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And number four, what is this that you have done? First two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. God came to, to Cain. He says, where is your brother Abel? He already knew where he was. God already knew the question, the answers to the questions. So God is not looking for answers. So why question? Here's why. Listen. God engages us. If you think about Jesus all throughout the New Testament, that's exactly what Jesus did. He, he responded to a question with a question. And the reason why that was, he wanted us to internalize. He wanted us to think through. He wanted us to contemplate. And he wants us to come to conclusions. Watch this. Coming to conclusions allows us to realize the air of our way when we've been disobedient to God. And it allows us to realize that God continues to engage us and remains faithful in pursuing us. Now listen, that is so huge. It's as if God reaches out to us and bridges the gap of our perceived separation that we feel when we disobey him. It's his way of engaging us again. Now, Michelle and I have two kids, Ellie and Eli, and when they were younger, we were visiting my parents um, at, at their house. <clears throat> they have an upstairs and a downstairs. We were all, we were downstairs. The adults were downstairs. My kids were upstairs and we heard a little ruckus. Um, Ellie was running across the breezeway upstairs yelling, mom, we knew something was going on. So I ran up real quick. Well, by the time I got up there, Eli had cornered Ellie and um, he would, you know, he, um, the only person he would do this with is, is Ellie. So when he would get mad, he would, I mean, he would tend stuff and he would do this number. So just about the time I got up there, he was just tensing up and he, I could tell he was getting ready to say something. And as a dad, I wanted to know what was in him, right? So he was about, he was about to spew out. So, so I, I, I just kind of held that, you know, held back. So, um, he looked at her, he said, sissy, you're nothing but a, but a, but a, he was furious. The only thing he could think of, you're nothing but a diaper head. And oh my gosh, I mean, I just turned around and, and just walked away. It was, it was hilarious. I was glad nothing else came out, but my goodness, um, that was, that was so funny. That was his expression of how upset he was. Michelle took Ellie into one room. I took Eli in the other room to interrogate, to find out what was going on. Y'all done that. Good cop, bad cop, separate them, get the story right, whatever that is. When I took Eli into the room, um, I took him into a room that had two, um, two twin beds. He was sitting on one. I was sitting on one. We were looking at each other. As we began to talk, as I began to ask him questions, I wasn't condemning. I wasn't um, uh, making him feel small. I was just simply asking questions. I wanted to know where this anger came from. What is driving all of this? As I, if I can speak to his belief system, I can find out what is motivating his behavior. 
So as I began to do that, he first sat down like this. The more we talked, he sat up. Pretty soon he came over and sat on the other end of the bed and little by little, he scooched his little behind over there by me until he finally laid his head on my shoulder. When he laid his head over here on my shoulder, I reached over like this. I just put my arm around him. I told him how much I love him, how proud I am of him in so many different ways. Instead of rebuking him for what he was doing, you know what he did? He jumped right in my lap and he put his head on my chest. What's the point of all of that? God, in the midst of doing what he does, knows that by engaging us, it helps us understand that we are never separated from him. It's all a perception. And if we can live our life with that mentality, we can understand the reality of the relationship we have with him. We can see through the lens of perspective instead of seeing through the lens of what we feel, that limited understanding that the enemy is attempting to shine on us that so tells us so much about who we are in our identity. So why did God asked Satan a question. Well, God was setting him up to get schooled. Satan answered the Lord from where God asked him, where did you come from? He said, from roaming about through the earth and going back and forth in it. So a couple of things about the enemy, I think it's important for us to understand. The enemy is not omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. He is not omnipresent, which means that he is not everywhere all at the same time. And 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us a little bit, gives us a little bit better insight. Be alert, be vigilant, be sober in mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone who to devour. Well, guess who the someone to devour was in this story? Well, you know who it was. It was Job. So the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So in other words, Satan is basically asking God. He's going to and fro in the world trying to find someone who he can, he can devour. Satan is going to God saying, who can I get? Who can I attack? What does God do? He throws Job under the bus. Here's an important point I want, you to, I want you to catch. God is always more concerned about his ultimate agendas being fulfilled than he is about any one person's particular comfort level. Mm. If you don't believe that's true, look at what God allowed his only son to go through when he left the glory of heaven, came and lived a sinless life, and died on a cross for our sins. God was thinking about the ultimate good for his people, for his creation, than he was the ultimate good for his own son. There is a much larger plan that we don't see always going on behind the scenes. The enemy doesn't know it yet in this story, but God is using him as a pawn to accomplish his ultimate agendas. The enemy says, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, you have put a hedge around him. All right, so let's put Job here. Let's illustrate this real quick. We'll put Job here. All right, so the Bible says you have put a hedge around him. 
All right. You have put a hedge around his household. You have put a hedge around everything he has. All right. So the enemy already knew that he couldn't do anything to Job because God had put three layers of protection around him. He said, you bless the work of his hands. Here's, here's what you can do, God. If you will take those things away from him, I'm telling you, he will curse you to your face. Well, that's not at all what happened. God said, okay, I tell you what you can do. You can take away all he has. You can take away even his family, but on the man himself, you cannot lay a finger. So it's as if Satan comes to God begging for some action. So what God does is he says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some action. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do some things to Job. I'll let you take his family. I'll even let you take all that he has. So here's the cards that I'm going to give you. You play those cards one by one, and that's what will let happen. So one day his Sons and daughters, they're feasting, they're drinking wine at the older brother's house. A messenger came and he said, the oxen were plowing in the field, the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians attacked and made off with them all. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. So in essence, what happened is the enemy took a spade. If you're playing the game of spades, spades always are the trump cards. He took his spade and he laid it out there, and he took the oxen, he took the donkeys, he took the servants. Remember, God gave him these cards. He took, later he took the sheep, he took the servants, he took the camels, he took the servants. While he was still speaking, all of this is happening. He took his sons, he took his daughters, so the enemy thinks he is running the gamut because all he has is spades to play this game. He is doing everything he can to cause Job to curse God and die. What does Job do? At this, verse 20, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. We move right into chapter two. On another day, exact same thing happens. Skin for skin, verse four, the enemy says, Skin for, for skin, a man will give you all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand, strike his flesh and bones, and he will certainly curse you to his face. The Lord said, okay, Satan, very well then. He's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So in other words, what happened is he took the hedge of protection around Job off, but he put it just a little bit closer he tightened up that hedge of protection. He said, you can touch him, but you cannot take his life. 
what happened? Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he infected him from head to toe with sores. And here he is playing his last cards, attempting to get Job to turn his back on God. And here's what he says. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die is what his wife said to him. And here's what Job said. You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Wow. In the midst of all of this, Job kept his integrity. And I love what verse 3 says. There is no one on, like, on earth like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. And still he maintains his integrity, though you enticed me against him to ruin him without any reason. Wow, man. So as we close our time together, I know we've spent some time really kind of dissecting that section of scripture there. What I want to do is I just want to pull out a couple of key truths that I think will be beneficial for us. Number one, as we're moving from perception to perspective, our limited understanding to seeing life through God's lens. Watch this. Number one, God is playing a different game. The enemy was given all spades and he was so happy because he knew that he was going to run the gamut and he was going to take everything that Job had. But you know what God was doing? God was setting him up because he was playing another game. God was playing the game of Rook instead of the game of Spades. The game of Rook, there's this card called the Red One, and this Red One trumps every other card. No matter what's being played, the Red One is the big dog. The Red One trumps every other card. What the enemy didn't realize is that God is playing a completely different game. Second thing I want you to understand is when God chooses to act, it is always strategic, intentional, purposeful, watch this, and trumps what the enemy meant for harm. Every time the enemy acted in Job's life, he thought he was playing the ultimate hand and he thought he was making the ultimate impact on Job's life. But when God saw fit, he played his red one and he trumped what the enemy meant for good because again, they were playing a different game. I love what Genesis 12, 20 says. Joseph says, you intended harm for me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Most of us, we can quote Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God is working for the good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Each time the enemy acts in our lives, God is preparing himself to play his red one. Third thing I want you to understand, God is ultimately in control no matter how we perceive the circumstances of life that we find ourselves in. Again, this points to his sovereignty. There is nothing that will ever happen in all of humanity on this earth, in this cosmos, in all of heaven that God is not ultimately in control of. 
fourth thing I want you to understand, nothing can touch us that God hasn't either sent or allowed, and therefore, we can engage, embrace, and learn to enjoy life's circumstances. Nothing can touch us that God hasn't either sent or allowed. So here's the deal. As we go through a rough patch, you can know this. Sometimes we bring that on ourselves through disobedience, and it's God's way of instructing us, loving us, disciplining us to get us back in line with Scripture. Sometimes it's because God is in the process of revealing our character, refining our character, and moving us to a place where, again, that character can match the assignment. Fifth thing I want you to understand, God operates from a full knowledge perspective. Therefore, we can trust his motives. God has already weighed every option. Nothing will ever happen that he doesn't already know about. And he sees how, where we are and what we're going through fits into his ultimate agendas. And he sees how we need what we're going through in order to fully execute what it is that he's calling us to do and accomplish for him in while we're here on earth. God operates from this full knowledge perspective. Therefore, we can trust his motives. Last couple of things I want to tell you. Once God makes right what we perceive to be wrong, that's when we gain perspective. That's when we begin to trust God and see life through his lens. So, Three things perspective does for us, and then we'll close. Number one, perspective fosters trust in God, not circumstances. Listen, whatever we need to go through in order to prepare us for God's agendas, you know what our attitude should be? (laughs) I'm in. Whatever it takes, God, I am in, because all that matters is whatever it is that's on your heart. Whatever's on your heart I want to be a part of that, and I know that I need to be shaped so that I can be the very best representation of Jesus and do what you have called me to do and be the person that you have called me to be fully. We begin living out of our identity in Christ when we trust God and not our circumstances. All of a sudden, for the first time ever, we're not tossed to and fro like the wind and the waves that our perception projects upon us. We're able to anchor into the deep truths of God and trust Him while we're going through these circumstances. Second thing perspective does for us, it formulates patterns of continual growth. What does that mean? Well, here's a question for you. What would happen if our attitude was one like this? God, whatever you choose to do, however you choose to lead me, whatever goes on in my life, I give you the right to put me through whatever experience that you see fit. What would happen if our attitude was processed What if every event we could see through that lens? You know what would happen? We would be positioned to learn everything that God is teaching us. Third thing I want you to understand about perspective. Perspective settles the hearts in ways that we don't even know need to be settled. Wow, man, 
Listen, when your heart is settled, no matter how difficult the circumstances are, no matter where that comes from, no matter how deeply those hurts you might feel, watch this. We have the capacity to remain unchanged and we don't get bent out of shape. You see, once we navigate a lot of these processes, once we navigate them, we begin to trust God out of the natural overflow of who we are and we experience deep, deep freedom that we did not know was possible while looking at life through the wrong lens. Now, real quick before we go, we have provided a Red One digital download through the email that was sent out this morning. If you didn't get the email or you're not on the email list, you can you can do that by going to visiting newvisionlife.com. Click on the I am new tab at the top. You can follow that. You can scroll down. If you're following us online, just uh, through the chat today, you can follow the digital download link and access the image. But Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to download that. I'd like for you to put it on your phone. I want you to put it on your computer. I want you to put it on your laptop. I want you to, you can print it out if you need to print it out. You can get you a set of root cards. You can take the red one out and uh, discard the rest of the root cards. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a spot that you will go to frequently. And when you are experiencing a rough patch in your life, I want you to go back and I want you to look at that red one. And I want you to pull that out and I want you to go, you know what? God is in the process of trumping the experiences that I am feeling in the midst of this moment. I have been looking at life through my own limited per perception I don't have all the pieces like God does, and I am choosing to take my lens to this side. I am choosing to force myself to see through God's lens, and I believe that maybe if we understand that God's the one that's playing the ultimate game, and he's the one that's writing the rules, and he is in charge, and he is sovereign in your life, I believe that you can receive some encouragement in the midst of whatever process that you go through. Today, I wanna to encourage you, if you don't know Christ as your savior, your very first step is to trust him as king and Lord of your life. He is the one who has taken our place. He is the only one who gives us the perspective in life that we need. Maybe you're listening today and you have been looking at 2020 as the most negative year that you have ever experienced. Maybe you're here today and you're listening and you look back at your past and you see all of those negative experiences and you never thought that you'd be able to heal from that. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you feel stuck and maybe today you've been encouraged and you realize that there's more going on behind the scenes than you ever imagined. Maybe you've even blamed God for the things 
that have happened in your life. Listen, God is in the business of righting your wrongs in one way or another. God loves you and he is for you. He is not against you. Wherever you are in life, Let's join together in prayer as we open our hearts to respond to the Word of God that's been taught today. Father, in Jesus' name, no matter where we are, no matter what lessons we need to learn, no matter what those experiences have been, we need your lens. We need to move from our own self-directed, limited understanding the understanding that the enemy has used lies to cause us to believe, God, we need to shift that lens and we need to make that shift over to the loving eyes of a heavenly father who is working for our good and for your own glory. God, would you give us perspective today? Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Job. Thank you for the encouragement, hopefully, that we felt today. And thank you, God, that you are in charge and we can trust you with every outcome in every situation as we live our life until we see you on that day. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>